Welcome to episode two of Super Good Juice. Bridge and I cannot thank you guys enough for your support so far. We even managed to top the Apple podcast career charts in New Zealand at one point. Niche I know and not why we do it, but it was pretty cool nonetheless. Today's wee kōrero is a special one. In this episode, we speak with Lorene Joe. Lorene, or Ren to most people, is one of those people who when you meet, you feel like you have known forever. Her story is one of compassion, of making an impact, and striving to create a better world with every interaction she makes, big or small. At a moment in time where there is a persistent sense of urgency, Ren has been quite happy setting her own pace. In this episode, she talks about nearly failing high school as head girl, to dropping out of uni, working to travel, rinse and repeat, returning to uni, co-founding a charity, up until now in her current role as a community development practitioner and expectant mum. We hope you enjoy this chat as much as we did, and we really dare you to be inspired. Hey, I'm Ren. I'm really curious to hear your backstory and kind of where, how you got to where you are, because I know it's not been linear and it's been really mm. interesting. Also, I think, am I right in thinking you spent a little bit of time at Waikato Uni? So did Mary Jane and I. Mm. A little bit of time there. I saw that. We did the same degree. We both started the degree. Ah. But no, Bridget, what did you do? I did a Bachelor of Social Sciences, uh, majoring ah. HR and Industrial Relations. And a shock to no one. We both- <laughs> Okay, well, I didn't do that one, but I also didn't finish the other one. How come? Is that where I start? Nah, start before then. You've got the coolest background. I grew up in Pachimahoi on a five-acre farm where my parents still live. Um, I am Māori and Chinese on my dad's side. And I'm Irish, Croatian, and Lebanese on my mum's side. Pachimahoe is a little place just outside of Pukekohe and just south of Auckland, not South Auckland. Failed uni. <laughs> <laughs> Failed uni or just didn't want to finish it? I didn't want to finish it. No, I did. I. It's funny, though, because I, yeah, I was like, I was head girl at high school And I was so incredibly busy that year and loved it and had a really great time. But I actually think I was failed by my careers, people. Hopefully they're not listening. Hopefully they're not one of your millions of listeners because Mm. I was, you know, head student and was so busy and wrapped up in like the end of the year of like creating like the ball and like doing all those things. I literally wasn't even, I never even thought about university until like, Honestly, like one of the last weeks of school uh, and never had like serious conversations wow. about it with anyone. And then I also remember I was a bit of a smart ass or not the smart ass, just kind of stood up for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got kicked out of my outdoor education class. And because of that, like that was halfway through the year. And then I got put into the PE class. So because of that, then I got enough credits to get university entrance. And so if I didn't get kicked out of that outdoor ed class, then I wouldn't have got university entrance. I mean, your head student's not meant to like not have university entrance. I was just going to say, what a failure of the school full stop, let alone just the career counsellors, because they should be setting you up to achieve academically as well. 
yeah I don't know if that was just me or if it was yeah like obviously I was quite independent at school like I I probably did act a bit like a staff member because I was doing so much and running you know councils and doing all those different things it's interesting you referenced the stood up for yourself. You, you knew how to stand up for yourself so early on. Mm. And one of the things that stood out for me the most about our friendship is just your ability to stand up for yourself or stand up for a cause or stand up for um, what you believe is right. But I love the way that you do it in a way that doesn't alienate people. It's something I really admire about you. But yeah, uni. So did you go straight uh, to yes, uni? Yes, I did. And I wouldn't have recommended that for myself. I know lots of other people took um, gap years and I just, I don't know, I didn't think that was an option for me for whatever reason. And my parents were really supportive and like, whatever you want to do, like, you know. So, yeah, when I said that I was going to go and do a Bachelor of Communications, they were like, perfect. So there, was ne- there wasn't much thought in it. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, it, it literally got suggested to me and then I went. And yeah, I just partied and had fun and made friends. And yeah, that was my, that's what I thought uni was about. And then, yeah, and then I realized how much money I was wasting and also that I wasn't enjoying it. I actually, I spoke to somebody who had finished the degree and she said to me, and I think it was almost like, she was just kind of like letting me know as a, as a fact of reality that everything you do in the degree like sets you up but when you finish the degree then you start in the real world and then you start learning about how to actually work in the real world and you know and she was just kind of telling me that's how she saw it and how it was for her but I was like I took that to mean so nothing that you do in the degree matters you know like nothing makes a difference to anybody else like you're just you know that's kind of what I got from that conversation probably wasn't even what she was trying to say but I think my work my the stuff that I had done through being head girl I'd I'd seen like real results of like things happening and then going to university I was like no one cares like this work is like you know you're just writing stuff on paper and you don't see anything come out come from it and then it just gets filed somewhere and it's the end of that it's a weird dynamic at university as well because unless you really apply yourself and are quite strategic in the relationships you build mm. with tutors and lecturers, mm. you just sail through. Yeah, because the, the classes are huge. Everything's bigger. Because you went back to study, didn't you? I did, yeah. I must have been 33. And that was incredible. And that was like this, yeah, it, just like this degree that which is um, – made for me I think Taylor made for me it's a it's a bachelor of leadership for change with the Otago Polytech and they actually said like to our class like if you aren't here to actually work in the actual real world and make an actual impact on the people that surround you then this degree isn't for you and I was like well you've sold me that's the end of my that I don't need to know anything else <laughs> I'm in so that degree is, oh, I should be a salesperson for them because I've told everyone and anyone that will listen about how practical and real world it is in the learning. And because they're co-designing it, so it's it's still being, there's lots of iterations. Like they, they, they listen to feedback from students all the time and make changes. So it's, it's, yeah, I don't even know if it's exactly the same as what it was when I did it a couple of years ago, but yeah, amazing. 
it was just made for me or and people like me because I got to do it alongside my work like with the ethics and everything approved I got to use my actual work that I'm working on now as my you know case studies and all that kind of stuff so completely different like a astronomically different from my first experience of uni so what happened then in those intervening years between finishing up at Waikato and then going to Otago what what were you doing yeah so when I came out of Waikato then we moved I moved to Wellington with an ex-boyfriend and just like hung out and worked in retail and had a good time then I moved back to Auckland and worked for my parents business for like maybe a year I think and just saved up actually like preparing myself to travel and then my whole life has been saving up to travel and then going traveling and then coming back when I've got no money and then saving up again kind of I mean I'm 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 probably done like for a while now but I yeah I spent almost two years traveling in Asia and Europe spending like one month at a time in one country and then moving on and then I worked in a in a bar in Amsterdam like once I got to Europe because I had no more money left and then you know so that kind of trip like backpacking and um completely by myself literally for almost two years <laughs> I met up with friends and stuff but that's been a huge part of my life you, you came yeah. to Malaysia yeah. <laughs> yeah I did yeah yeah and I met yeah Malaysia and I met Bridget in like Poland for Christmas one year had some incredible trips yeah but then I came home and then I like worked at James Cook High School I was a sports coordinator which I freaking loved mm mm-hmm. James Cook is one of the lowest decile schools in New Zealand and Manurewa and it's like one of the biggest as well and it just it was just the best time those kids are just amazing I was able to make a huge impact um, there because I feel like they were kind of hard done by before I got there but yeah like I worked my ass off and increased sports participation by like 50 percent wow it was just like incredible on my last day they like put a sign at the front of the school and that it was like miss joe's last day and then all day kids were like why are you leaving us that was an incredible job and yeah just again feeling like i'd made an impact on people's lives like I was totally there for like youth leadership and um, community development (laughs) I was like involving the community and like everything that we did and I just and then sports was kind of like the vehicle for that. Ren what what's the fire what drives you to make that impact? Yeah I think um, I don't even know and everyone asks like how you find yourself where you are and like why you find yourself in these jobs and stuff and I don't actually know I don't have I think you know with the goodness gathering and stuff like that like I I want um I think the world can be better than it is and I think that we can make positive impacts on like literally just people around us on our friends like you know neighbors you know you can make like a positive impact every day and then you can do big things as well but I think like everything in between matters every day matters I think fairness is a huge part of my drive because I've been I've been very privileged and been able to travel all over the world and see things which if you just live in New Zealand you're never going to see and understand mum and dad took us when I was 11 to China to go and live in the house that my grandfather built in his village for four months you know there's five of us kids I'm the fourth and so we saw like beggars and we saw 
you know, we saw incredible Chinese work ethic experience, the food and the culture and all those things, but also like probably a huge part of that trip for me was like seeing how unfair the world is. Like it's not fair in my 11 year old mind. Like why do these people have to live like that? And like, why, you know, why, where do those children, you know, I get to go to school and I get this and that and whatever. So even as a young person, I was kind of had my eyes open to like what we, yeah, just the privilege that we have living in New Zealand. You kind of alluded to that when you're talking about going into James Cook Mm. High School and saying the kids had been a bit hard done by and that you were going to kind of transform that for them. Increasing sports Mm. participation in the kids by 50% is extraordinary. So how, like over what period of time did you, did you manage to make that change? Uh, It was there in a total of six years, but I went away for two years in between. So like, so two and two. And, and I really like felt like I almost kind of like landed on like with a clean slate, like I started with almost nothing. They would have trials for sports teams like rugby, they'd have trials and then there'd only be two teams. So if you didn't make it, then you couldn't play rugby, you know? And when I got there, I was like, no, if you want to play rugby and you're committed and you turn up to trainings and you pay your fees, you should be able to play. Like who cares if you suck? So, and I would like say that to them, it doesn't matter if you suck, <laughs> as long as you come to trainings and, you know, that's the point we're meant to make you better. So, um, yeah, just to kind of see opportunities like that and say, you know, if they want to do it and if they're committed and if they want, you know, so, and I had an awesome manager, line manager who supported me. So with all that change and growth came like all these challenges because then we had to find that many more staff members of the school who would be attached to each team and then like the staff had like never been involved in any sports ever so I'm like going there and like selling to them like how great is sports for these kids and I would hear in this in the staff room like someone would say something bad about a student and I would be like that kid is amazing he's like always helping me with my bags always asking if I need help with anything and I just had such a different experience of the students I started that job when I was yeah 21 and so when I'm in the interview the principal was like so we have some students who are 18 we have some students actually have come from the islands and they you know for whatever reason they're you know 19 we've got we've got 19 year old students here is that going to be a problem and I just looked at him and I was like no that won't be a problem I think he really took a chance on me because I was I mean the head girl thing helped but I told him that I hated university and I'd come back from traveling I'd come back from Cambodia and he he was impressed in that yeah he took a chance on me but that like obviously really paid off yeah I loved that job I think I've been super super lucky because I have loved working but I mean we started work my parents owned businesses and you know, um, the first business they had was um, an anchor milk franchise. So I was an anchor milk truck runner, you know, when I was like 13. And I loved it. We loved being <laughs> milk truck runners. So um, we have like really good family like memories about being on the milk truck. But yeah, I've really, I've, I'm glad that I've got a good work ethic and I've really enjoyed working over the different roles. This theme of community seems to be quite a constant. Being a, on the milk run, I mean, you would have known everyone. I loved the milkies. Hearing the, <laughs> I miss those days. I do too. 
So why did you leave James Cook then? You left the kids hanging. Because I wanted more. I wanted, wanted something else. Actually, and then I went traveling. Where did you go on that round of travel? So then I went and lived in Canada, in Vancouver, for two years. What did you do in Vancouver? I was working in a retail store and I was talking shit with a woman who, like this couple came in and they had a baby and I was like, your baby's awake, can I pick her up? This lady was like, are you serious? And I was like, yes, I picked her up. And she was like, you're really good with babies. I was like, oh, but this isn't going to be my real job. You know, like I'm in retail at the moment, but I want to do something maybe in events or like marketing or yeah, I'm real open to like getting a real job. And then they left and then they came back later on and she was like, um, can I just leave my number with you just in case we need babysitting or something? And then I was like, okay, kind of weird. And then she left and then I called her after work and she said, I just was lying because your colleagues were there, but I want to offer you a job. She was like, you could be a part-time nanny and I would like, we could do some event stuff if that's what you're interested in. You could do like marketing stuff with my business. She was like, but yeah, obviously you'd be looking after my baby as well. And so I came, I went to their house for dinner. I told my family, I was like, I, I'm either going to like get the best job ever or die. And then they gave we they gave me like eight craft beers, which were like 8% or something. And I was smashed. <laughs> and they were so cool, but it wasn't dodgy. Um, yeah. And their baby was three months old. And I said to her, like, I've held a lot of babies in my life, but never been like a charge of one yeah and she was like can I tell you a secret she was like neither have I (laughs) oh she sounds amazing (laughs) she was oh my god and that family was incredible and they just treated me like a daughter Mm. yeah and I looked after this amazing child and just had the best time as a nanny slash events and marketing (laughs) coordinator wow what was her business she was a part of a franchise and she imported furniture from the States into Canada. Yeah, she, we'd sit and like talk about the future and what I wanted to do. And my flatmate said, they're like, it's the couple that like we want to be. Yeah. And I was in a kapahaka over there, like randomly, never been in kapahaka before. First time. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I was their weakest link. So I didn't even travel with them. They were like the a team and then I was just like went to the practices and then on like the Friday I got asked if I would go on the Monday with them to Chicago and I called my boss who's the mum of the baby and I was like I'm so sorry to have to ask you this it's like a whole week that I'd be away and it's like Monday she was like are you kidding you cannot not go that's amazing of course you have to go just wanted the best for me even though it (laughs) disadvantaged her (laughs) can you tell us a bit about the goodness gathering Nadia and I were just talking about doing good in the world the idea was that we ask people all over the world to gather for good on one day and for one charity and so we would all get together on the day and do some kind of challenge people would do it in New Zealand and people would do it in Canada people would do it around the world and um, make a donation towards the charity that we had chosen so we did five gatherings and each time we had a different challenge and then we had different people joining us Um, and in total 
uh, we raised a little bit over $30,000 for different charities. It was a cool learning experience. Like I think we, there was a time of us like wanting to make it bigger than what it was. Because at one stage we had like 50 gatherings all around the world. Wow. So different people gathering at different places. And we were raising money for like Syria. And then like we did one for Australian bushfires. So quite kind of topical things. And so we're getting like really cool stories back. A school in China raised $5,000 by themselves. Then like other people would like put 50 bucks in and, and we'd be stoked. So I think as much as raising money, it was about raising awareness for these different things that were going on in the world because I think it's just so easy to get wrapped up in where you live and not know or care about anyone else. MJ you did the walk one that was the one we did up Mount Eden. Yeah I remember it was awesome. Thanks MJ. Thank yeah you. we had orange slices at the top. I hadn't realized that Mount Eden wasn't that hard to climb and wasn't that high <laughs> yeah. but then. It was good though because a lot of people were able to attend. Got them all to donate money and then we went to the pub so it was we were all happy. Yeah, that challenge was climb as high as you can. How long did you guys do the goodness gatherings for? Because have you stopped? Yeah, fundraising is so fucking hard. Oh, my God. It's not for me. It's tough. <laughs> we, I, yeah, it came to a, a natural end. Actually, Nadia and my relationship started to deteriorate over that time. And and I really that was like a, a lesson for me and just kind of what's important. We talked openly about it and I think we both had just different priorities at the time and um, she might have had her first baby and time was on, on her side. So I continued it for another two, I think. And she was supportive and we're still best mates. It's like a good it was a good ending of her like involvement, but that was a good lesson, I think, and friendship being more like our friendship was more important than the goodness gathering was. Our website got hacked and it had all the like details and all the photos and like everything together. And I experienced some grief around that website being closed. Did they lock you out? Yeah, it was really sad. Like, you know, when you worked really hard on something and then it's just kind of gone. And even like for my CVs and stuff, like I had, you know, like proudly said, like we've raised $30,000 for charities around the world. This is the website. The website's gone. And like, so now it's a Facebook page that I could direct people to, but it's almost like, did it exist? What happened then? Then what? After the goodness gathering, yeah, came back to New Zealand and started in community work really with my sister, so Tara. Um, voila. she started a collective of community practitioners and at that stage you know like I had no formal training or anything in it but she was like you can talk to people you're organized you can project manage you can you know she just gave me like this crash course of the community that she had worked in for like 15 years and then I went around saying that I was Tara's sister and made best friends with everyone and yeah, the rest is history. So I've been a self-employed community practitioner since then. So 2017, I think. But then in that time as well, I worked for the Heart Movement. What is a community practitioner and what do you do and why? A community practitioner works in the community. We, I think there's 16 of us in the Rako Totoko Collective. And we, it's a little bit weird. I don't think there's that role in the kind of way that we work all over New Zealand or the world we we work in the social sector and some of us have 
really strong you know interests in different things so some of us in the collective are like really passionate about climate change and like waste and then some of us have uh, experience in empathy interviewing the research kind of piece in there so the model is that people or organizations will come to us and say we want to know what the community thinks about this and so we will go out and create a plan with them but we might go out and um, find community members who are interested in that kaupapa and we will either like do empathy interviews with them or talk them through maybe a co-design process which is yeah just working with people to find solutions to problems which um you know or things that are affecting them in the community so like community can be organizations it can be not-for-profits it can be businesses and it can just be humans it can be people who live in a place so we do all sorts of things and we all do we're all self-employed and some of us have other jobs as well that supplement it so there's 16 practitioners but none of us are employed full-time or anything and we meet you know we've got professional development sessions bi-monthly but we just support each other and we might get a contract through that needs kind of five um, practitioners or it could need one and is that how you got involved in heart movement Yes, because it's so like far reaching, like community means anything. Then the heart movement also works in the community. It's community led and it is a, it is basically family violence prevention. So we work on healthy relationships, specifically in Tamaki with a focus on family violence. And is that the area that you tend to, as a community practitioner, your kind of core focus is on? Yeah, I've come in and out. So the heart movement, there was a role that came up there and did little bits and pieces for them. But then um, the role to lead that organization came up. So I was the leader for change with the heart movement for a year and a half, I think. You had some pretty amazing impact there, didn't you? Yeah, we have been really I think lucky, not lucky because the work is actually awesome, but we've been supported really well by philanthropic funders. And that funding isn't, you know, if it's not tagged, like some of the government funding that comes through has like really um, strict parameters on like what you can do and what it's for. And this philanthropic funding often has like within, within reason, there's no, that you can do what you think needs to be done. So being philanthropically funded meant that we could be truly community led. And so we're going out and asking the community what they think about different things and how we can um, support change. I don't have numbers or anything, but we have change agents. So they're community members, they're volunteers, and they are people who are on some kind of journey to make positive change in their life and specifically around family violence and just healthy relationships. And so they're out there making, you know, positive change in their community. So I think in my time, we went from 20 to 50 change agents over the time. And so it's like getting people together and getting them excited about change and getting them learning. We had a theory of change. I was able to employ four community members to lead each step of the theory of change which was incredible actually because it gave them responsibility but the autonomy to go and create things which the community were asking for I had an awesome team and um, we achieved heaps together what's the next challenge 
So for, for context, her and Malcolm often have this board of post-its with ideas and cool business ideas or cool social ideas or cool community ideas. Ren, maybe talk through that ideation process that you have with Malcolm and also maybe what your next challenge is. Malcolm and I have really different life experiences up until now. Malcolm's worked for 17 years at um, AVSEC, at Aviation Security at Auckland Airport. And 17 years just seems like a lifetime and in that and then in that time you know if I think about what I've done of you know <laughs> in those years in those same years you know um yeah I think it speaks to his kind of commitment and his dedication and um, stickability but at the same time he you know work is work for him and he any it's shift work as well so that's tough and it's tough on you know your relationships and your family and all those things so he's always wanted to create a business or do something and since we've met and we got together you know I would talk about the things you know I'm I'm doing and I'm self-employed so I do tax and like I've done um, accounts and different things for different organizations but yeah I just think it's a matter of like jumping in and doing it like just starting or like just you know just just doing it so I did an um a course with Eco Matters to, it was a social entrepreneurship course and they showed us the a canvas a business canvas and that I think is what you're thinking about Bridget that's it yeah we have like a trillion post-its up and we'll have like an idea a business idea and just yeah just like sit down or stand up actually and just like throw up a million post-its business canvas is like pretty basic if you google it you can see it's like it got the customer the problem that you're solving like with your product or service the advantage of yours like alternatives that people could use the solution that your product or service is the startup costs like everything like everything's on there and you just throw it all up there kind of thing and it just gives you a better understanding of like if you have an idea you can be like okay cool I want to start this kind of business but then like that canvas just gives you a bit of a template to think through some of the more structure yeah it structures your thinking so Malcolm and I have done like a bunch of those but the most recent and most serious one is looking at a business it's actually a franchise so it's a an after school care and school holiday programs um, franchise. I'm pregnant. I am obviously, if you see me, I'm um, eight months pregnant, which is, which sounds crazy, but because I'm self-employed and with like the laws and stuff, Malcolm, um, Malcolm can take the full year that's allocated to a couple. So he has taken nine months before we had any plans. <laughs> he just has taken <laughs> nine months of like to have a party and hang out. And that's really it's it's interesting because so we have this interesting conversation. And times I've made more money than him, which he loves telling everyone that like Ren makes more money than me. It makes more sense for her to go back to work if she wants to. So there's no like it's no it's not pressure from him to go back to work. And I definitely want to breastfeed and all those things. But there's there's flexibility there. I might go back and he might have baby. Not sure. Well, Ren, let's we'll start wrapping it up. How do you structure your week to get things done? I'm not good at structure, really, <laughs> or routines. Um, when I, you know, was with the Heart Movement and stuff and I had my team, we would do team meetings on Mondays and, and just set ourselves up for the week. Working in the social sector, our well-being is super important. So that's a huge part of um, 
just my working with my team it was a huge part to check in so Mondays and we would have a check-in session that would often not often be less than an hour so it was so important for the work that we do when there is heavy stuff and just the community that we're working in and yeah just taking care of yourself is so incredibly important and just knowing you know that kind of idea that you can't take care of anyone else that you can't do good work with if you're not well I would say the rest of it is not very structured because community work is not very structured and things change and people are weird and crazy and do uh, and are very unpredictable so (laughs) Um, which I love actually So you're okay with a bit of unpredictability, but are there any tools you use sort of day to day that help keep you on track? I wanted to mention, and I made a note about mentioning the Maramataka, which is the Māori uh, lunar calendar. And and just the idea that that, that our energy ebbs and flows. Some people can totally get behind and like understand and think yes I <laughs> agree with that and then others kind of it's a really new kind of idea um but I would even with my team like be really mindful of what the day actually was and like you know that thing about um our bodies are made like <laughs> some kind of really high percentage which I don't know what the actual number is of water <laughs> feel free to tell me what it is um you know and that the the moon moves like you know creates the tides and so if our bodies are made of that much water then of course we're going to be affected you know and there are days which uh and like weeks which is super high energy um and when you're high energy you shouldn't like force yourself into bed but because it's your bedtime you know you should just keep working if you feel like working you should work um, and so, but then on the low energy days as well, like, you know, you shouldn't force yourself to work when it's just not coming. So the Maramataka was huge for our team. Like I went and bought us all the, um, you know, calendars. So Maramataka Māori on Facebook, um, there's a woman um, who does, so every single morning she does a little video. I've tracked my own energy over days and just been like one to five, like, how do I feel? It was so on point um, and I think it made a real difference on the productivity actually of my team. I write everything down and put it on my um, like the notes app on the iPhone. I've got about 1500 notes. Um, I think like trying not to be a perfectionist. I think I'm doing this thing at the moment. I'm doing a project for a you know, something called the Phenomenal Young Woman um, for my work. And I'm reading, like, um, there's this Facebook group called A Mighty Girl. And it's about raising, like, young women and girls to be awesome, basically. <laughs> and, yeah, there's a huge, like, there's lots in there about not being, you know, about perfectionism and how dangerous that is for young girls and there was this article the other day about young girls uh confidence drops like hugely between the ages of like eight and 12 and it's about perfectionism and about them saying that you can't just be anymore when you're like younger it's like you know you can play and do all that stuff and then as they get a bit older their confidence actually drops I'm doing this work with phenomenal young women 
um, and we've got mentoring sessions. So um, yeah, I'm going to get the mentors to share a story where like there's things that they're proud of, which happened in that story, but also things that didn't go, you know, as they'd planned or they would have done differently, you know, but then like the moral of the story is, and I'm fine and I'm here and I learned something and that's actually, it's a, it was a, it was a good experience for me. You know, I think it's really important for young girls and young women to hear those kinds of stories and like be surrounded by awesome women doing cool shit. What are the, what is the biggest or most important lesson you've learned in your career or the thing you're most proud of? Like, you know how we talk about my life and career, <laughs> career, um, been so windy. It's been like, if yeah, someone asked me what I do. I don't I still don't even know like what to say kind of thing. And if we get talking, then people get excited about the things I'm excited about. So there is something there, but I think. I think just being true to yourself and like standing up for what you believe in, that kind of stuff's really important to me. Having integrity, being kind, don't be a dick, you know, that kind of stuff. Like just do what you say you're going to do, you know, help other people, <laughs> that, all that kind of stuff. I just, I just think all that stuff's important. That's, that'll make, make the world better. And I think you do those things. Like I'm so proud to call you a friend because I do think you've got integrity, you've got conviction, you do what you say you're going to do. I think you're the epitome of walk the talk. Lorraine, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a beautiful conversation. There's so much more to talk about, honestly. Um, maybe we'll have you on another time. We can talk a bit deeper about some other stuff because I think we've barely scratched the surface personally. <laughs> Great. Personally. But thank you so much for taking the time out with five weeks to go before your precious little bubba is due. No worries. Yeah. Thanks, Ren. Thank you, guys. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. We have popped links to all of the organizations that Loren mentioned in today's episode, including Rako Totoko, Heart Movement and Maramataka. Um, there are also links to Lorraine's LinkedIn and IG in the show notes as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review the pod. Share it with your friends. It really helps others to find us. Super Good Juice is produced by Mary Jane Rewa and Bridget Ashby. Editing and sound design is by Mary Jane for Popper Pod on Productions. The music you hear in the podcast is by the artist Tatami and the track is called In Motion. See you next time.